This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Do you want a strip tease? <laughs> I'm like so just dis- I'm creeping myself out. I need to stop the strip tease. Um, You're like a mini She-Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's all staying in. So this is dying. all staying in the episode. But no, seriously, like what are you doing? Are Girl. You- Since the mask mandates went away in Chicago for certain areas, I like I was like, okay, bitch. No more excuses. I because I was using excuse I was using that excuse for so long. I was like, uh, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't want to go to yeah. yoga because like I don't want to work out in a mask. I'll just work out at home. And then I never worked out at home for like literally two years. I have I, when I say I haven't worked out in two years, like I mean I have not worked out in two years. Like I go on walks. I go on walks. That's about it. Great for your heart and so health. A month ago, yeah, great for a month, great for my heart health. So a month ago, when they lifted the mask mandates in yoga studios, I was like, all right. It's time. No more excuses. Like no more masks. So <laughs> I committed. I bought a month membership to my um, usual like yoga studio. And girl, you know all those chaturangas just be shredding up my I'm arms. So you jealous. know I can't chaturanga yet because of my new boobs. <laughs> <laughs> it's too soon yet. I can't. Are the new titas on public public yet. knowledge now? Well, now they are. They're about to be real public knowledge when we go oh to my Tulum. God. So. It is. Thought girl, so I I don't know if my Instagram is ready for the resurgence of thirsty Danielle. I mean, like I don't care. I'm it ready. has been two years. I'm ready for thirsty. This Danielle. body is going on the gram. I don't care. But yeah, I did get my um implant swapped out. The ones that I had were textured, and there was some research and stuff out there about linkage to lymphoma. And you know, I just didn't want to take that chance. So. Swap yeah. the girls out. I'm loving them. They're great. But you know, can't wait to see them. Can't wait oh, to see you them. Until- will. <laughs> they will be out and about. <laughs> Look out, people. This episode comes out actually when we're in Tulum. So I can't hey guys. Wait. Come catch us on the gram. We're gonna be showing tasteful nudes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're not kidding. No, we're not. But no, no. but we got to show off those. We got to show show off the bod, Danielle. Oh my god, you've got some. We got to show off the bod. I can't so. wait. I literally just need to be in front of the ocean so badly, 
I don't know if many people know this, but next week it will be 11 years since Nick passed away. And that has always been a moment where I really, you know, I just wanted to be somewhere else. You know, I wanted to be doing something like really cool and really fun. And this year I am. I'm going to be on a beach with one of my best friends. And we are going to have a good fucking time. Yeah, we're, yes, that was like probably the biggest uh, motivation behind the trip was because of the anniversary with Nick and it's been a hard year for the both of us. And so we're just ready to kind of have some girl time, relax, reset Mm -hmm. a little bit where we're going. There's like yoga every day and we're going to definitely partake in Mm -hmm. that, but we're ready to kind of, you know, let loose a little bit, have a good time. Oh yeah. Everybody deserves that, right? I'm, I'm, I'm setting the intention now that I'm going to meet or at least make out with someone real hot down there. <laughs> I will set that intention for you okay, as well. Okay, great. Thanks. Ready? Okay, we're going to take a deep breath in a moment for that. Danielle's going to make out with somebody in Mexico. <sighs> all right, guys. When this episode comes out, Send hopefully it comes all true. the hotties to Mexico. Okay, now, moving on from the hotties <laughs> in Mexico. Let's Today's, today's episode. To holy... Well, we got to make sure you don't find a yes. narcissist, which oh. we definitely will not after today's episode. No. And also years of therapy from the last one. That too. Yes. I'm so pumped. I still can't believe that we got Dr. Z on the episode, let alone that like she was like, yeah, I want to come on your episode. She's the coolest, probably one of the... Foremost experts, I would say, in narcissistic personality disorder, being with a partner who is on the narcissistic personality uh, spectrum, it can be really dangerous for especially people in the healthcare field. You know, we're caretakers. We get into that in the episode. So this is this was a really validating episode for me. I share I share some some things <laughs> without you know trying to attract any attention from said narcissist because let's not play that game again fuck him <laughs> from said narcissist but oh this episode really is great especially for healthcare workers like you mm-hmm. said because a lot of us are fixers people pleasers mm-hmm. and um this is a really good episode about not just spotting a narcissist or how to deal with a narcissist, um, but how to kind of protect yourself and set boundaries and some of those red flags to look out for. And Dr. Z answers our question, can a narcissist actually change? You'll have to tune into that one. We've got... Dr. Z on the podcast today. And I really needed to have a warm cup of matcha because if we're talking through traumas, I need to drink something. Traumas associated with narcissists. (laughs) I really needed something comforting to drink. Yeah. Dr. Z, I'm so grateful that you're here and so excited to dive in about your work and how you got into this specialty. And it's just so interesting to me. And I think so many of our listeners will be able to relate and unfortunately probably have dealt with some form of narcissism in their life. So let's just kind of dive in. Like, how did you get into this specialty? 
I started practicing in, pri in private practice um, a bunch of years ago. And when I moved my practice to where it is now, I had mostly female patients that I was seeing. And over the years, I started noticing there were very common themes to all of their relationships. A lot of them were in that kind of narcissistic spectrum, we'll say. And I realized that nobody was really identifying it for them. Nobody was really giving it a name. Nobody was really, nobody had like a toolkit they could give them to help them navigate this type of relationship because it is, it's just inherently different than any other type of toxic relationship. It is in a category of itself. So normal behavioral strategies that I would give somebody in a toxic relationship look very different than strategies I'd give someone in a narcissistic relationship. In fact, if you give typical toxic behavior pattern kind of tips and strategies and things like that, you actually can do more harm than good when you're dealing with a narcissistic relationship because it's not, you don't handle it in the same way. And it's very nuanced. It's very specific. So because of that, I started really focusing on that. Um, and then I had a dear, dear friend who was going through an absolutely horrific, horrific separation from somebody who was severely narcissistic. And so I kind of saw that firsthand. And then um, it just kind of grew from there. I was really just fascinated by as toxic as it is, it's so similar for every single person. And I think what I found so, so fascinating about it was that there's almost this blueprint to managing it. And once somebody figures out that blueprint, because remember, it's not the narcissist that's in for treatment. It's the spouse. It's the significant other. It's the sister. It's the child of the narcissist. So once that person figures out that there is a distinct pattern to the narcissist behavior, you see this like aha moment where they realize, I can predict what comes next. I know exactly what they're going to do. And then you can kind of alter your responses accordingly. And you realize that it, it's so predictable. And it's, I, I just love working with people to get to that point where they have that moment of, oh my God, I, 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 this, is, this is textbook. Um, and it gives them this, it's very empowering for them. So um, yeah, that's how it started. And then it just kind of grew, it grew from there. It was an area that a lot of people um, needed, I think. I have experience with both like female narcissists and a male narcissist. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, what do you see more of? And like, what are, the, oh my God, there's just so many questions. We'll start there. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, so male narcissists rarely present for right. treatment. Rarely. The only time they come in for treatment would be if it's court mandated, some sort of custody thing, some sort of anger management or substance abuse, or they come in, let's say, because they are suicidal for different types of reasons, let's say, not, not, they manage depression very differently. So they come in for a session or two, and then they're, they're done. Um, or they come in with their partner, not because they want any type of help, but because they want to meet who the therapist is, they want to see if they can charm them, win them over when they realize they can't, they don't come back. So 
I definitely see, it's hard to say because in general, male or female, they don't present for treatment. And even if a female, I've had patients that are female narcissists and they don't, they don't stay into treatment. They usually come in because they have severe anxiety or severe depression, but it's kind of based on this person did this, this person did this, this person did this. And there's this real lack of insight and awareness that they're kind of the common denominator. So when that point comes about in therapy, you don't see them again. (laughs) How do you spot a narcissist? And do female males and females present differently? Yeah. So female narcissists tend to be, they're different in relationships. So for example, let's say narcissists that are, that are moms, right? They will view their children, let's say as an extension of them, right? Like mini me's, but, but almost like a pocket, like an accessory. And they don't allow for any autonomy for that child. And any sense of autonomy is viewed as abandonment. Like I gave you life. Therefore you are for ever in service, like you forever have to do for me. Um, Mm. Whereas men, let's say fathers, for example, they view kids, their children as like, they're in the way, right? They're in the way of their life. Like just, they, they they ruin things. They ruin their dating life. They ruin their finances. They just ruin things. Female narcissists tend to present in therapy as more overly anxious or very kind of um, depressive symptoms, but very somatic and Whereas male narcissists tend to have more anger, more physical violence, females not as much. They're more manipulative with emotions than, I mean, the men are too, but the females tend to have, they are physically violent, but not as much, let's say, as men. Oof, I feel like these are relationships that healthcare workers in particular find themselves in because we're caregivers. We like to help people. We also like to feel needed. There's also a lot of, you know, codependency. Yes. to fix things. (laughs) Like, we we don't all have to. (laughs) What do you mean? (laughs) A lot of therapy. It's a very, (laughs) very toxic combination, I think, with a narcissist. But unfortunately, it seems like the two are drawn mm-hmm. to each other. I don't know. Maybe this is just me, Danielle, and our <laughs> personal experience. No, you're not, you're, you're not wrong. I think in general, people in the helping professions, particularly in the medical field, um, they're fixers, right? They, they want people to get better. And, you know, the, the kind of secondary gain from that too, is that you're needed. And so that makes you feel good. And it makes you probably very good at your job right? People pleasing types or caretakers tend to make phenomenal caregivers. Anyone in the helping field doesn't really matter, you know, which area. So it's very common because it's easy to put your needs second. That's Mm -hmm. what you're used to, right? It's selfish or it's inappropriate to put your needs first. And so that is something that a narcissist craves. Not only do they not want you to put your needs first, but they don't really care if you have needs at all. And so it becomes very easy to lose yourself in a role that you're very familiar with already, mm-hmm. but that can't become a hundred percent of you. 
just like at work, like it can't be a hundred percent of you or you'll burn out very quickly. Um, there has to be some sort of balance, but with a narcissist, it's, it's a very easy relationship for them to kind of initiate because Mm -hmm. the person loves to take care of them and make sure everything's okay for them. And they love being that center of attention. They feel entitled to that. Yes. Yep. Oh, and I are just like shaking our heads. But before we like, before we keep going into like kind of the relationships dynamics, and I think that, you know, we're so quick to kind of just like label people like, oh, mm-hmm. you're a narcissist, yeah. right? Whereas I think there's like a whole spectrum of narcissistic behaviors and tendencies. So maybe to someone that like doesn't even really know like what a narcissist is, how does this like, mm-hmm. what is like in layman's terms, like the easiest way to kind of distinguish what a narcissist is and and how this presents in like in not just romantic relationships, but just in, in relationships with like friends or family. So what a narcissist is not is someone that's just a jerk, right? Like somebody can be abusive. Somebody can be emotionally, physically abusive. They can be just a jerk. They can be a serial cheater. They could commit fraud. It doesn't mean they're a narcissist. People can have toxic patterns in relationships that look narcissistic, but when brought to their attention and their awareness, they realize the impact they're having on others. They don't like it. They they feel remorse. They feel empathy for the other person and they want to work to change that. With a narcissist, when you bring that to their attention, they don't care. There is no empathy. And everything that they do is very deliberate. And one of the things that I find people have the most difficulty with, well, two things, is they can't wrap their brain around the fact that this person is doing all of this deliberately. All of it. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly why they're doing it. They know how you're going to respond. They don't care. As long as they get what they need, as long as they get that supply, they get filled up. Doesn't They just want to have access to your emotions, whether they're the ones to make you happy, whether they're the ones to make you sad, angry. They just want to be the one in charge of, of, have, of making you that emotion. So a lot of, especially in the last years, the pandemic, we've heard narcissists pop up a lot. And I don't know if it's because we're just, we were on social media more because we couldn't connect anywhere else. But, you know, narcissism functions on a spectrum, like you said. So you have this, this continuum, right? And on one end, let's say no narcissistic trait, which is not healthy, right? Then that's like a serious people pleaser, somebody who, who never puts their needs first, doesn't feel they have any self-worth, self-esteem. And then on the other extreme, like, so kind of like a dependency, on the whole other extreme, you have narcissistic personality disorder, which is a pervasive style of interacting with other people, the world, and the way they view themselves. It's pervasive, meaning it's not like they're just a jerk in relationships. They are that way across every single relationship that they have. It may look different at times based on what they need from any particular situation. So they could be very charming in one. If they're trying to date somebody, they could be, you know, vicious at the office because they need something from you. So it, it just, it varies. Every single one of us has narcissistic traits, all of us. It's healthy. It's what motivates us. It's what um, got us through grad school, right? It's what pushes us to do our best. And 
when you're in, let's say, a, your your area of expertise, maybe more of your narcissistic traits pop up. But again, because that's kind of your area, right? So it makes sense that that would happen. The difference is, is that you also know when to pull it back, you know when to push it forward. So we have awareness of that and, you know, and when to kind of lean in and back out. Someone with narcissistic personality disorder does not have that ability to do that. They are one way, one way only across all situations. There is no consideration for how their behavior impacts other people. None. They don't care. How does that differentiate? Well, I I mean, I get how like the differences between a narcissist and a sociopath. What about when those two combine? Mm -hmm. So narcissism, um, antisocial personality disorder, which is sociopath, borderline personality disorder are in the same cluster of personality disorders. So a lot of the symptoms can overlap. Somebody who has sociopathic tendencies, let's say, and narcissistic tendencies, not only are they aware of what they're doing, but they they're doing it because they enjoy, they enjoy it. They get a thrill out of it. Whereas somebody who has just not just but narcissistic personality disorder, it's more about filling up this void that they have that they're unwilling to recognize. Like it's like deep down, they feel so empty. They feel so, you know, um, just broken, but they'll never access that. Whereas somebody with sociopathic tendencies, it's more about that thrill seeking, causing harm for pleasure, enjoyment, mm. things yeah. like that. So if you put those two together, it's it's icky. Oh yeah. Yeah. The ickiest. <laughs> Run. So what if um Run. Oh my gosh, we have so much and like I want to get into Danielle's personal experience because I wish our listeners can see her face because I feel like you just have so much to share. But I am just curious when you work with relationships with where one partner has narcissistic tendencies or full-blown narcissistic mm-hmm. disorder how do you counsel people out of, like in in this like if if let's say you know you have this aha moment where you're like yeah. I'm with a narcissist my yeah. partner what is a narcissist <laughs> what would you, what do you counsel yeah what now <laughs> what what would you do so usually what somebody will say once they have that realization but even before that I get a sense of you know are they here because they want to work towards developing strategies and skills to be able to leave the relationship? Are they here because they haven't been depressed within their relationship? Like what's their goal for the relationship? And if while working with them, I realize, you know, just this kind of very textbook behavior display that they kind of put on for you and tell you these stories and I get a sense, and I'll ask, do you want to leave this relationship? So develop the skill sets to be able to exit a narcissistic relationship because they are the really the one of the only types of relationships that you need a full-on exit strategy. It is not a normal breakup. And even after the breakup, the post-separation abuse, it's called, that occurs can be worse than the abuse you endure during the relationship. So you have to really not only have a plan of how to leave, but how to function outside once you've left, because it doesn't end. The trauma doesn't end. Sometimes it ramps up. It can be one relationship, 
Um, so, you know, people can have horrible breakups all the time. This is different. It's, it's very different. So I, I ask this, a lot of people say, I don't, I'm not ready to leave yet. And I respect that, you know, as long as they're safe, you know, and their kids are safe, they want strategies on how to deal with the narcissist in the house, boundaries, things like that. The problem is, is that nothing is ever going to change. Well, we'll have to, you'll be able to predict better and set certain boundaries and, and learn in therapy different ways to respond to a narcissist so that you can walk away feeling more neutral, but you're always going to have to be doing that. So it's, I, and I let them know that you, you, I can work with you to stay in the relationship, but understand it's always going to be like this. It doesn't matter how healthy you become in terms of your strategies. You're always going to have, you're always going to playing the game of respond and not respond to this. It'll never just be free flowing. So those are kind of the two things that I, that I usually ask first to be able to figure out which direction to go, to go in. Some people don't want to leave. When I finally, like the whole curtain, like window veil came up and yeah, I not only just like really saw what was happening, but like the tiredness and exhaustion that just like permeated mm -hmm. every single day was what finally gave me the courage to, to leave the situation that I was in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that ooh, the post-relationship trauma is I've, I've never experienced anything like that in any sort of breakup that I've ever had. Mm -hmm. It's if you haven't experienced it, it's hard for people to understand. It is so, some one of my colleagues described it as other otherworldly yeah. because it's so jarring and so scary and so confusing and so just crazy making that you don't even you can't live your your life post breakup. You're you're still kind of in this game trying to keep of, yourself safe. You know, trying to fi tr mm -hmm. trying to keep yourself safe. Figuring out how to respond, figuring out where to go, where you can be, you know, who you can trust. Because, you know, it's also, you know, a lot of times when people are in horrible relationships, they still have maintained their, their self-esteem. They still have their self, their self, their sense of self intact. When somebody is with a narcissist, one of the things that happens routinely, no one is immune from this, this will happen is they strip away your sense of self so much that you just become this kind of empty shell, right? It's like the shell of who you used to be. And I, I, it happens very slowly. It's subtle. You don't realize it's happening until one day you look around and you just have these bars all around you. You're isolated from everybody and you have no idea how you got here. And now you can't get out. They've isolated you from people so you can't talk to them about the abuse. They have told everybody how horribly anxious and depressed you are, and they're so concerned about you. So when you do talk about things, no one's going to listen to you because they think it's it's just her depression talking or just his depression talking. Or just your crazy talking. Or just your crazy talking. And and the truth is, is, is I, I mean, and this is really sad. This, I think, is the most heartbreaking thing for me it, as a female, as a mother, as a 
I have people that will be out of these relationships and will say things to me like, I don't even know what my favorite color is because they weren't allowed to have opinions or favorites of anything. They were told, this is what you're going to wear. This is how you're going to live. This is the music you're going to listen to. This is the show you're going to listen to. So one, one, one person I worked with just one day, just I'll never forget this, just started hysterical crying because she didn't know what side of the bed she wanted to sleep on. Like these tiny little details that you don't think about, they have somehow mastered this control over them. So you truly feel like you, you just exist as they tell you. You know, it's, it's, it's brainwashing in a sense. So it's scary to leave a relationship as it is. It's, I mean, imagine trying to leave a relationship when you have zero sense of self and, just, you know, fin- no finances because they've manipulated and controlled your finances. They've isolated you from everyone. So it's very difficult to leave. That's why when people say, like, why don't they just leave? This is why. And they're scared for their safety or their kids' safety. What does that post breakup time look like then? Because you, Danielle was speaking on like personal experience and from what you've seen, aside from like what you already spoke on, the difficulties of like kind of finding yourself again and reestablishing your life or your career or your, you know, whatever that is. What does that, like, what are some of those scary things? Yeah. So one is, um, like I said, the financial abuse. So you come out of this and you have no finances or you have no earning potential because they didn't let you work. I have many patients that are, you know, had really good careers and they were told they're not allowed to work. So they didn't work for 20, 30 years and now they're getting no money and they have no earning potential. So you'll see things like drawn out legal battles, just never ending court, custody, financial, just over years because it's something that the narcissist likes to control and kind of linger on and on. You'll see things like within a very short period of time, they'll be dating somebody, probably somebody that was already in the wings because they will never leave somebody or be left if they don't have somebody else already to get that supply from. So you'll see pictures of them online very quickly. They will blast it all over social media. Um, They will go to the restaurants that they know you go to. They'll go to the stores at the times that they know you go to them so that you can run into them. Um, They may stalk you. They may sit outside your house. They may follow you. They could put a tracker in your car, on your phone. They could call your office and tell them that you're, you know, quote, crazy and that you have a drug problem or an alcohol problem and you're dangerous to be around patients. I mean, there's so many things that can happen. They could just walk into your house because they still feel like it's theirs. They will sabotage any dating that you do. They will try to contact your friends and try to win them over by telling them lies. So there's still that isolation factor. You may very well lose a lot of your support network um, because they do a really good job of isolating and kind of telling them stories about you. They will make up a lot of stories about you. If there's anything that you have with them, let's say um, like very personal, private, intimate things, it will no longer be private. 
right? So you have to be very careful about that. Emails, pictures, phone calls, you know, text messages, things like that. Yeah, it's pretty horrifying. A lot of times I, you know, restraining orders are necessary. You know, it's it's ongoing, very ongoing. The best thing to do if you can is to go no contact, which means you block them on every social media platform. You change your phone number, you change your email, or you block them on your email. You do everything you possibly can to completely disconnect from them. So to avoid anyone getting into this situation, <laughs> I love the what are some like early narcissist warning signs, like red flags are going off like early on? In friendships too, like not just relationships, yeah. but like, sure, you know. So in friendships, you know, a lot of times for females, it'll be kind of this person has this kind of martyr mm -hmm. complex that everything happens to them, but happens to them worse. You know, they don't just like stub their toe, they broke their foot. You know, there's just this kind of everything happens to me more, better, worse, whatever. And they're, they're very, you can feel it when they're with, when you're with them, they're just, they suck though. You feel like you're just exhausted mm -hmm. afterwards, right? Everything is about them and they're a victim all the time. And it's just, constant. So it's very um, draining to be friends with a narcissist. Um, they'll cut you off when they're done with you. They'll come back in when they feel like it. You're mm -hmm. an object. You're just an object. You, you are something that can be easily replaced when you're no longer necessary. And then just picked up again. That's why the boundaries are so important. But as far as red flags go, so one thing I, one thing I tell people is there's a lot of shame and guilt for people that got into narcissistic relationships. And so what I tell people all the time is that not one person is immune from the love bombing mm. or the early stages of a love narcissistic bombing. relationship unless <laughs> yes, unless you are aware mm -hmm. of the red flags. If you do not have that knowledge base, it's very easy to get sucked into this because who wouldn't want to be like wined and died and gifts and you're my soulmate and oh my god where have you been all my life like we have so much yep. in common and I mean you're beautiful I love you know every morning I love you I miss you and so you know for somebody who is not used to having their needs met this is like you know this mm -hmm. is like a dream so it's very difficult you know even if you're used to having your needs met it is very difficult to to not want that so I always tell people, don't, it's not your fault. It's just not. And they're so calculating. They read you. Yes. They're so calculating and so manipulative that it would almost be stranger if you didn't get sucked into it because they're so good at what they do. So it makes sense that you get sucked into it. Um, but red flags, sorry, red, I took a very long way to answer that. But red flags would be things like, you know, I say, if you hear, the word soulmate out of somebody's mouth within the first six months of dating, more even, run. It, it is that simple, run. Now, I'm sure there's people that have, you know, are gonna say like, that's not true, I met my soulmate. That's great, but I guarantee you they didn't tell you that you were their soulmate before they even knew your middle name or before they, mm -hmm. they even knew like where you grew up or do you have any siblings, you know, so- or before you had actually met in person? 
Correct. Correct. What they'll also do is they will ask you very personal questions, but do it in such a way that makes you feel like they experienced the same thing too. And oh my God, I can't believe we had the same upbringing, right? Like you like, you like tennis. I like tennis too. Oh my God, we should play. This is so crazy how much we have in common. Like, oh, you know, so there's a lot of that, but what they're doing is they're deliberately asking you questions to find out what your vulnerabilities are. And what they're doing is they don't give, don't give a crap about what they are. They're storing them back here for later use. So when they start to devalue you, when they discard you, when they start to manipulate you and gaslight you, that's what they're going to use. They're going to use the things that they know you're most vulnerable about, vulnerable with, because those are the things you're going to defend fiercely. So they get so much more supply from you if they go after those things. Listen to how they speak to waiters and waitresses, right? Do they sound entitled? Are they arrogant? Are they overly like over tippers, right? Like where it's so extreme gifts and vacations and constant texting and constant messaging, which looks really great in the beginning and feels good in the beginning, but they're doing it to figure out what your schedule's like, to figure out kind of your whereabouts at any given time. They're doing it so that if it were to stop or even reduce 10%, which would still be a lot, you get nervous because you're so used mm -hmm. to this 100%. And now all of a sudden it's 80, which is still absurdly high in the beginning of a relationship. And now you're panicked. You don't know what you did wrong. And so that intermittent reinforcement starts, which is like, you know, has the same response as, as drug addiction, where you, you crave that, that, that dopamine release, you crave that. And so you constantly keep going after it and it just starts this vicious toxic cycle. And then you're in it, then you're in it. Mm -hmm. Ooh, so much is coming up. <laughs> On the flip side, I'm curious, like, why these tendencies exist? Like, how does one become a narcissist? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's some research that suggests that there are brain differences, um, that there's brain chemistry differences, structural differences. So there's that. I think, though, that the majority of the research, and I would say that the majority of my colleagues and, you know, of, of kind of what I talk about is more pattern based, more behavior based. So that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean that if your parent is a narcissist, you're going to be a narcissist. What it means is that as children, we develop certain patterns and strategies to make sense of the world around us, to feel in control of the world around us, and we model the things that we see. So the patterns of behavior we use as children, as we grow into adulthood, those patterns of behavior, as they start to no longer work for us, we need to adjust them so that they fit into our new context. The problem occurs when those behavior patterns that were functional for us as kids, because kids are very smart and they will come up with very strategic ways to get through very uncomfortable dynamics or abusive dynamics, neglectful, perfectionistic, you know, overbearing parents, whatever the case is, develop strategies to survive that get into adulthood and maintain those same patterns, even though the context no it, the context is totally different. So those patterns don't apply anymore, but they don't change them. And that's when depression, anxiety, things like that start to show. So with narcissism, 
Uh, it can come from having narcissistic parents. It can come from a very unpredictable, unstable environment. So you have one parent that's an alcoholic or, you know, comes home, you never know what you're going to get. And so, you know, it's kind of a protective mechanism in a way that they kind of put on this facade that they they cannot be hurt. They are going to protect themselves fiercely. Nobody can get to them. Or somebody made them feel like crap their whole life. Nothing they ever did was good enough. Um, they had to be perfect. And when they were perfect, why weren't you perfect plus one? And so they grow up feeling maybe worthless. They feel like they they can't do anything right. And so sometimes you can go to that extreme with narcissism as well to overcompensate. It's kind of this compensatory strategy to make yourself never feel like that again. Or actually there's another one, when you're treated as the golden child. Mm. So the example that I give for this. Interesting. Do you remember Lacey Peterson? Lacey Peterson case where oh, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Scott Peterson. Oh. Okay, yes. so he, he, he killed, his, suppose he killed his wife while she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And at the time he was having an affair. He, you know, he lied about it and it was just, I mean, he did it. And I will never forget. And I got chills. And this is before I even knew I was, I think I was in grad school. So I didn't even, like, I wasn't even in this yet. And I remember the mom and there's one thing to love your son, but the way she spoke of him and, and the way she interacted with him was so like, so disturbing to me. And, and it was, it, he was this golden child. He could do no wrong. He killed his wife and child and still he could do no wrong. And so there's this rules don't apply to me. Everything that I do, mm. if it's bad, somebody gets me out of it. I'll never get in trouble. I don't, I can do whatever I want. I can take somebody's mm. life. It's my choice. So that, that is another way that that can kind of come to be. Bringing up like the parental aspect of it mm-hmm. was one of the biggest mind fucks yep. for me coming yep. out of mm-hmm. that relationship. Because it was like the whole family was in on it. The whole family. Like they all knew. They all Mm -hmm. knew what he was capable of. They all walked on eggshells around him, but they Mm -hmm. would all like go along with it. Yep. Correct. That's very common. Terrifying. Because that's what I'm talking about, that otherworldliness, that jarring feeling. You're you're just looking around like am am I crazy like how is this happening right now and it's like no Matt you could tell them this sky is blue and they're like nope nope it's 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 green polka dots and it doesn't matter what you say they will never see the sky is blue and you just feel like you're in this warped twilight zone because your sense of reality is so um it's Skewed. so threatened. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so, so threatened. You don't know what's real, what's not real. And imagine not knowing. And then you have this whole family telling you the same thing. And you just, you lose your perspective on what's real. You doubt your decisions. And they do that because they want you to depend on them mm-hmm. for their version of the reality they want you to have. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah. why that happens. Yeah. I think one of the scariest things that you brought up too was this like detachment from emotions or empathy and how traumatizing that must be to the partner when 
ties are cut. Yes. I will get all the time. So all of that was fake. And it's Mm. extremely unnerving and very unsettling to sit there and think I devoted my entire life or I devoted six months of my life or a week of my life. It really doesn't matter. But I devoted my life, my time to this relationship and it, it, it wasn't real in the sense of the, the connection. They are not able to love. They are not able to look at somebody as a separate human being with emotions, their own perceptions, their own world, their own needs. Everybody is a like an object. And and not even a tool like, for their success. Yeah. I mean, just like a flat object. There's no dimension to them. It's just whatever they need. This whole conversation has just been so validating. Oh, <laughs> and just re re-enlightening. You know, um when I finally left the the situation that I was in, this was a couple of years ago. I took the like straight up no contact. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I, mm-hmm. I can't like the things that you are saying, like threatening to like kill yourself. If I oh, don't yes. speak to you, yep. threatening to do, yep. you know, oh God, so many different things. And then trashing me mm-hmm. in the media and, you know, then claiming that I I was the suicidal one. I was the crazy one. How could I not see what was going on? Meanwhile, they're like, you know, they, they spin like an entire Mm -hmm. world and, and things around you. Like I had to, he kept trying to, to get me on the phone, Mm -hmm. kept trying to get me on the phone because then all the lies would come out. All the truth would be told like, no. And I honestly like never felt more powerful than in that moment when I was Mm -hmm. like, no, like, A, yeah. I was terrified that you would make me believe that I was yes. crazy, that you yes. were the right one. Yeah. And in that, and like, when I finally came out of it, I was like, no, like, right. like, I know, like, I see everything. I'm ashamed. That's that, that's that moment that I was talking about where yes. once you see that playbook, you can't ever unsee it. Right. Ever. Right. His whole family blocked mm-hmm. multiple numbers that he would try and call me from. Yeah. Blocked. Yeah. Every social media platform blocked. I was on, I signed up for like Clubhouse a couple months ago and like his brother friended me on it. And I was like, blocked? Get the fuck away from me. That's right. Like That's right. That's exactly right. Yep. No, not having any of that. And they also, you know, they don't want you to feel empowered, right? They don't want you to Mm -hmm. see their true self. That's the whole point of it. They, 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 They don't want anybody to see how vulnerable they are. So they do all these things, warp your reality, control literally everything around Mm -hmm. you and within you, um, that you, you're unable to even get to that point to them because you're so focused on what's wrong with you, what you did wrong. And so they kind of project all that onto Mm -hmm. you so that you can carry it. For people that, you know, I get this all the time. I will get so many comments on my posts, like, you are a disgusting psychologist. I can't believe that, you know, you help people and you say that narcissists, you know, narcissists are wounded. I'll never forget. Narcissists are wounded humans and they should be treated as such. And I, and I remember like, it's, it's this, this whole idea that when I say that a narcissist can't change, that people have a big 
problem with that sometimes because I'll, everybody can change, so to speak. Now, here's the thing. As a psychologist, it absolutely pains me to say a narcissist won't change. My entire, what I do is based on helping people change. So for me to say that like, it's not changing, it takes a lot for me to say that. And so I don't take that lightly when I do, um, but people mm -hmm. have a really difficult time with that. And they'll say, well, I was a narcissist and I changed in therapy. No, you weren't. And no, you didn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, but people have narcissistic tendencies and features. And if they have enough awareness and they do the work with somebody who's a, you know, aware of these nuances, yeah, they can make changes. Mm -hmm. But to make yeah. even the, the tiniest change with a narcissist with somebody who's an expert in narcissism is so difficult that there is zero chance in hell that anybody is going to make any type of longstanding permanent change with a narcissist. It's never going to happen. So people will say, you know, well, now they're being nice to me again, or now they're, you know, they apologize. They said they'll never do it again. And I'll just yeah, they say, need you. yes, they will do it again. They 100% will do it again. I can guarantee yes. you that. And, you know, people really want to believe that they'll change because most people are inherently good. And we want to believe right. that people can change, right? Because And be good. And be good. Yeah. Which is why it's so dangerous for healthcare professionals who yes. believe the best in people oh, and want to see them Agreed. heal. And they can help you heal and be a better person. Correct. They can and see that good part in you. The person who, I'll never forget the comment, like they're a wounded human. And I, I said, correct. They are a wounded human. You're absolutely right. But a lot of us are wounded humans. I don't know many people that are not, in, to some extent, wounded humans. Okay, like right. it's all relative. I understand that, and you know what's a problem to us is, is you know not a problem to somebody else. Something could always be worse. Something could always be better. I understand that, but generally speaking, everybody to some extent feels a little bit wounded, right? Everybody, mm -hmm. to some extent, was, you know, messed up by their parents, messed up by their caregivers. <laughs> we all were, to some extent. Um, right. Even the ones that say I had a perfect family. No, everybody, to some extent, has some toxic patterns. So we're all wounded, to some extent. Not broken, just wounded. But mm -hmm. what I cannot do is say to one of my patients who's sitting in my office, shaking uncontrollably, telling me how her husband rapes her, that, you know what? he's a wounded human. You need to give him some empathy. I mean, I can't do that. <laughs> so no. Right. And, and, you know, I, it's, it, it's, um, I understand why people say that, but I think until you have worked in that field or you've experienced it, can't understand it. I remember learning about you know, in our psych clinicals, you know, and mm -hmm. going over the different personality disorders. And I remember sitting there and we're like learning about narcissistic personality disorder. And there in the textbook, it says they are untreatable. Like they will never heal. They will Correct. like, it, and I was like, this is the scariest thing Correct. I've ever seen printed. That's right. Right. And it, this would be the worst thing to I have. I like what you said too about how they'll go to therapy, but more so to just try to figure out a way to manipulate the therapist or manipulate the partner. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, um, I've had 
mostly husbands, not women are narcissists too, but mostly I see mostly women. So the, the husbands would come in to kind of get a sense. And once they realized they weren't going to get anywhere, <laughs> they'd either up and leave or they'd never come back, tell their significant mm-hmm. other, she's horrible. I don't like her. She's terrible. She's, you know, find somebody else. Basically what they're saying is find somebody else who doesn't understand my stuff, right? Find somebody else who will listen right. to my bullshit and I can manipulate. Then you have therapists who will send them to couples therapy. You do not, under any circumstances, go to couples therapy with a narcissistic partner. Because what will happen wow. is ever. And, and if you're working with somebody who's a narcissist specialist, let's say, and you go for couples therapy, they will more likely than not tell you it shouldn't be couples. Because what's going to happen is the narcissist is going to try to dominate that situation with somebody who's not a narcissistic expert and they're going to re-traumatize the other person. They're going to manipulate the situation so well. And you're also scared and confused and gaslighting's going on and you don't know what's up and what's down. So you're quiet in there because you also have to leave and go home with them. And God forbid you say something bad, who knows what's going to happen when you get home? You have to drive in the car with them narcissists and narcissistic rage and the car no they will lock you in they will drive 900 miles an hour they will scare you they will make you think you're going to die so you can't go to couples therapy and they'll say like have a date night but do you know what a date night means for narcissistic and narcissist and their partner so couples therapy i tell them don't it's not it's not going to be beneficial. It's going to be traumatizing. And I, and it's, it should never happen. They did a study actually um, years ago. I don't remember who did it. And I don't remember what, what prison population it was, but they looked at antisocial personality disorder in the prison system because there's a disproportionate, obviously, amount of narcissism and particularly antisocial personality disorder in, in the prison system. So they did whatever screenings they did and they kind of pulled the people that had antisocial personality disorder, and they did empathy interventions for them to teach them empathy, to teach them skills. And what happened was, yeah, they learned it. And yeah, they used it, but they used it to manipulate. So they're just (laughs) incapable of kind of taking on empathy. They can't do it. They will pretend to be empathetic to manipulate, but basically... They just model what it looks like to be empathetic and they use that to manipulate. But what they're feeling inside, they don't care. They absolutely do not care. And then it probably most cases like leaves the partner trying to do anything to like get a reaction of emotion. Like, yes. How do you not understand? How can you be so cold? How can, you know, it's like when it, Mm -hmm. when the, when the, the switch is just flipped. Yep. And at a certain point, you even stop asking that because you just stop talking about what's wrong. You stop talking about what you need. You stop talking about how you're unhappy and what you want to see change. You just, you just shut down. You become that shell. Oh, Dr. Z, I feel like we're going to have to have you on like all the time and just talk about <laughs> even fine. more. I love telling people this stuff because I feel like I have to like arm everybody so that they know that when yes. they, they can see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though it's hard to see, but I feel like that very 
if I can imbue anything into anyone listening right now, the love bombing, Mm -hmm. please, please be aware and watch out for the love it's body. almost like if it yeah. feels too good to be true and you're not special. You're, <laughs> you're not special. we're all special but like you're not that special right we it are. doesn't make sense right it just doesn't make sense yes i hope that makes you question you know even if it's like well wait i'm i'm why why don't i deserve this yes you do you do you deserve do. a safe supportive love but if it comes at week two Correct. Or a month or two in, and like you said, the soulmate thing, mm-hmm. constantly texting, it's they're tracking you. Yeah, they're that's they're exactly right. planning out their next move. They are figuring you out. Mm-hmm. They're figuring you what out. What they can, your yeah. relationships with people, where they can intervene, who they can control. Yeah, it's what your interests are, what your passions over. are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's that um you know they'll they'll you you want to introduce them to your friends right your closest friends that you adore that right. you trust with your life and then you come home from dinner and they'll mm-hmm. say really that's your best friend you guys just seem so different I can't I don't know she just there's I don't know I feel like there's something off about I don't know and then like you know they'll start kind of planting those seeds they'll do it with your parents they'll do it about your siblings your friends people at work. Um, just to slowly start to plant this idea that you really have connected with the wrong people and that it's you and them against the world and there should be nobody else. Yep. This is the other thing. If somebody has a very, um, it's you and us against the world mentality and they try to put that on you, that is very much a red flag because there is nothing about that that is healthy. Um, right. They should want you to have things outside the relationship. They should want you to have an identity. Yeah, you'll overlap. But that's very much a red flag. It's not healthy, even though it feels like, oh yeah, we're this team. We're going to get through life together. It's not healthy. Oh my God. Well, Dr. C, we'll need you to stay on to give Daniela one-on-one therapy after this No, actually my, my therapist, it was so funny. Um, I was, uh, I think it was either, no, this was actually two weeks ago. And she was like, do you follow Dr. Z? Because she like, she she's from Philly. She's she's in the therapy group. I don't know if you're um, mm-hmm. if you're familiar and stuff with them. Yeah, mm-hmm. with like Jen and um, Emily and stuff like that. So she's like, I love you. Got You got to follow Doctor Z. I know. I just love them. <laughs> the, the I literally found the greatest therapist in the world, and uh-huh. I'm going to tell her to listen to this episode anyways. I I, I sent her some, and you know, and she gets proud because I'm proud of this. But yeah, she was like, you need to, you need to follow Dr. Z. I was like, oh, I already am. We're trying to get her on the podcast. <laughs> oh, I adore them. They're the best. Yeah. I'm here. Plus yeah. you have your own podcast. I do. I do. Yes. It's me, Dr. Z with JV. So it's like, it's like kind of everyday non-psychologist kind of talking about depression, and anxiety, and then me is kind of the clinical end of it. Um, but yeah. it's it's funny. Um, it, it actually takes like a funny. He's he's funny. He makes it fun and lighthearted. <laughs> but I don't know how I do everything. I don't. Know. I'm drowning half the time. <laughs> That's why I forgot my password <laughs> on my phone. <laughs> because I don't know what day. You mean? You mean you take on a lot <laughs> as a healthcare provider? In, no, yeah. no. What do you mean? That's so weird. Actually, I have <laughs> Me chunks, too. I have chunks of time week that I don't know what to do. I have hours. 
Yes. Sit there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Dr. Z, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. Where can our listeners find you? You have a huge social media platform. You have a podcast. Where is the best way that people can find you and continue on this Staying clear of narcissists. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, empowering it, yourselves in relationships. Yeah, that's, that's much yeah. nicely, much more yeah. eloquently said, Danielle. No, call it out. <laughs> narcissists fucking suck and they will, they can really wreck you, but you can come back from it. I that's promise. Exactly and right. you will be even better and even stronger. That's exactly right. And even more grounded in who you are. I could not agree more. Could not agree more. Uh, so my Instagram is um, Dr. Z underscore psychologist. And I post a ton of stuff on narcissism. I do a lot of lives and um, my podcast with me, Dr. Z with JB, talk a lot about narcissism as well and other other mental health topics too. Um, my website, drjamiesdockerman.com. I have some um, workshops on there, virtual workshops on narcissism, red flags, patterns of behavior. So you can download those and yeah. Oh, and I have a book. It's coming out in May. It's an anxiety <gasps> workbook. Yes. Oh, it can... We're buying it. <laughs> <laughs> so the link is in my bio on Instagram and it's on my website, but it's a, um, it's a anxiety kind of journal slash workbook. Um, Need it. In like, <laughs> therapy. So it's like very behavioral, very action-based and it's, it's fun. So it's like an everyday kind of anxiety that we all have. <laughs> I don't, Danielle I just it. assume, she's like, we're, we're, we need that. <laughs> <laughs> we need it. Yes, we do. Yes, yes we do. Well, thank you. Dr. Z, thank me. you so much. This was great. Thank you so much. We'll definitely do it again. Yeah. Yes, yes. please. <laughs> mm. Oh, my goodness. I hope those of you listening that you know, might be wondering if they're in a toxic versus Mm -hmm. is my partner a narcissist? I really hope that this helps give you that like aha moment and just ask for the help. You know, there, there are ways to see a psychologist, see a therapist and I mean, it can, it can be scary. I, I get it. I get yeah. the volatile nature of your partners who are on the NPD <laughs> spectrum, even on the sociopathic spectrum. Ask for the help. Please yeah, ask Dr. for the help. Z's social media is also a really great place to start. If you are like, you listen to this episode and you're like, wait a second. Yes. I think my partner may have narcissistic tendencies or maybe Mm -hmm. an ex in the past had narcissistic tendencies. I think it's a lot more common than people think. Totally. So I would head to her Instagram. She has so many helpful graphics and statistics and IG lives. And so like she's just a bank of helpful Mm -hmm. information to kind of get your just kind of like dive a little bit deeper. Yes, absolutely. And her podcast. And if you're scared to follow her account because your partner maybe has control over that, make a Finsta. Make a Finsta. Follow her. You can look at it that way. It's an easy little go around. Good idea. There you go. All right, well, Med fam. Well, thanks so much for tuning in with us this Monday. As you know, every share, rate, 
review. Every listen means the absolute world. It allows us to kind of keep doing what we're doing, which we absolutely love. Mm -hmm. And on that note, we will catch you next Monday. We love you. WOMED out.